Let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. The Lord gave me this topic, and whether it leads to considering the whole book of Joshua or not, I don't know yet. But the Lord gave me this topic very recently and convinced me of it and showed me its practical application in light of what we've been studying recently, and that is the holiness of God. This is an illustrative history of what happens to people when they care about the holiness of God and when they neglect His holiness. This is certainly going to be a militaristic several chapters that we will consider. We no longer engage in literal holy wars. We totally reject any concept of the Crusades, which was nothing but a Roman Catholic delusion cast upon Europe 500 years ago to unite and try to recover the foolish city of Jerusalem from the Muslims. And so we had crusades raging in Europe and North, America, North Africa and in the Middle East for the carnal, earthly, worldly, God-hating city of Jerusalem. When there's a, a new city of Jerusalem that we're in a struggle for. And that's to promote Mount Zion in our own hearts, in our families, and in our church. Yet, though we don't believe in any ehad for our God by going and killing other men in the flesh, we do have our own souls, our families, and a church to be vigilant for and to protect by living a holy life and having the Lord God on our sides. Brethren, we have men, women, and children planning many things in our church. Educational programs, careers, businesses, marriages, childbirth, houses, and so forth. And all those plans are folly without the Lord on your side. You will not accomplish anything without the Lord on your side. And we want to learn that today. Joshua chapter 6. We have been introduced this morning... With 1 Samuel 2.30 that told us, Them that honor me, I will honor. And them that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And that is an understatement. Because them that despise me shall be destroyed. The Lord will reward them that hate him to their face. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up. Because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. The first city that the Israelites met after they left Egypt and then wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and then crossed the Jordan River was Jericho. The first city they met. Now remember, ten spies had returned from Canaan and said the cities there were great. They were walled up to heaven. And the men were fearful that inhabited those cities. This is the first city. Two spies said that the land could be taken. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is the leader of the nation because Moses has transferred his authority and office over to Joshua. And they come to Jericho and the city was under lockdown. No one could go out or come in. Why? Because they were petrified of the God we worship. The Lord had terrified them. Look at chapter 2. Rahab tells us why her city was so fearful. 
Joshua chapter 1 is the Lord encouraging Joshua to not be afraid of taking over Moses' lofty job. Joshua chapter 2 is all about Rahab. Joshua chapter 3 is how the priests of God divided the waters of the Red Sea for Israel to march through on dry ground. Joshua chapter 4 is about picking up stones from the middle of that Jordan River, the the bed, and bringing them out for a memorial forever to help the children, the children of the children of Israel ask the question, what are these stones for? And to be reminded that God had not only divided the Red Sea, but He had stacked up the Jordan River in its time of flooding. And then we come to chapter 5, which we'll see in just a minute. But we're at chapter 6 and verse 1, and it tells us that the city was under lockdown, and Rahab's going to tell us why in chapter 2 and verse 9. She puts the two spies on her roof, and she says to them in verse 9, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Amen. Who gave her that faith? The Lord. He can give anything He wishes. He can give the land of Canaan to the Israelites, and He can give the heart of Rahab to Himself. And He did it. And she was a woman full of faith. She's in Hebrews 11. She's in James 2 beside Abraham. She's in Matthew 1 as a mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. A Jericho prostitute. By the grace of God. I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above, and in earth beneath. And while she's saying these words, they're having the Muslim chants in the streets of Jericho. I speak as a fool. Islam is a very recent religion. But the pagan worship of the inhabitants of Jericho did not affect Rahab. She made a choice. God God is the God of all the earth, and these two men are his spies, and I better protect them. And how would she make that choice? God had given her a new heart. Just as a brother prayed a few minutes ago, why do we have a heart that cares for the worship of God? There's a lot of other things that could be done today other than the worship of God. I hope that all of you want to be here. And for those that don't want to be here, God's going to take care of you, and we're going to enjoy it when we see it happen. And if you think that's too harsh, then see what Joshua and the rest of Israel thought about Achan. You have troubled us. Now we're going to trouble you. God is worthy of all our worship. And anyone that doesn't want to give Him your whole heart right now, you deserve everything that's coming, and it is coming without a doubt. They were under lockdown for good reason. The Lord had terrified them. If your ways please God, your enemies will make peace. Amen. Proverbs 16.7 tells us that. If you obey the Lord... He'll go before you, with you. Will He go behind you? 
when he goes behind you, he's called your what? Your rearward. How's that spelled, brother? Amen. Some people get to that word in the Bible and they want to call it re-reward. Like it's a reward you give back. Or a reward you give again, but it's a rearward. It's what's coming behind you. The Lord's in front of you, behind you, and with you. If you trust in Him and obey Him. Let's come to Joshua chapter 5. We have just discovered that the first city that Israel encountered crossing the Jordan River is Jericho. It's under lockdown because they're terrified. Let's look at another reason they're terrified. This is so pleasant, brethren. I hope that by the grace of God I can give you a taste of how good this is. Jared, when you find a river, the River Jordan, it's low. And there is a plain on the other side of it, and it's called the Plain of Jericho. Right. And on that plain camped a couple million people called the children of Israel. Now the city had heard what they had done 40 years earlier by the Red Sea dividing, letting them through, and then drowning the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army could have eaten Jericho for breakfast. Then they heard that these, these slaves, these serfs, coming out of Egypt, had taken on two great kings on that other side of Jordan named Sihon and Og, and utterly destroyed them both. And now they're camped in the plain before the city. And the city sees this great nation out there in the plain. But there's another event that took place. And that was the Lord stacked up the Jordan River in the time of flooding. And the whole nation passed through on dry ground. Now, how do you dry out the bottom of a riverbed? How big of fans do you need? Come on, you engineers. Help me out. The Lord dried it out. It was dry ground. And those priests stood down there in the middle of the river with that little four and a half foot gold box on staves between their shoulders. And the water stacked up. And the Bible tells you it was a great heap. A flooding river stacking up long enough for two million people to get across can make quite a bit of water. And if we knew the geography better of that territory, it tells us how far the backup, how much land the backup covered. That city of Jericho got to watch that happen. As soon as the foot of the first priest touched the water of Jordan, it backed up and there was dry ground for them to walk through. Can, can you imagine the binoculars off the wall of Jericho? What is going on? And it said that everybody north of that, of that spot couldn't get across the Jordan River because the water became terrible. It was, it was just stopped and backed up like the Hoover Dam. Then, when the priests were the last ones, the nation went across, and the priests came out, and when they put foot on the dry ground of the river, of the bank of the Jordan River, there went the water. And there those people are, in the center of their camp, is a little tabernacle, and that Ark of the Covenant, and two million people singing and having a good time, and they're watching from the walls of Jericho. Are you feeling sorry for them? Don't. Don't feel any sorrier for them than you would have Pharaoh in the midst of the Red Sea. They could have humbled themselves and sued for peace. Like Rahab did. She begged for peace. She begged for her and her family to be saved. That she would save the two spies alive. Joshua chapter 5. 
tells us what they were doing on that plain. Let's get the last verse of chapter 4 because it'll tell you what effect that little miracle on the Jordan River had on the nations. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. There's two things there, that the enemies of the Lord could fear Him, or could know that He is mighty, and that they, the children of Israel, would fear the Lord their God forever because they had seen that miracle. Now, what's the nation doing on the plain of Jericho? 5-1. And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. Now, if I remember right, there were ten spies that influenced the nation of Israel to fear the Amorites and the Canaanites. Is that correct? Now, those fearful men, God killed them all, every one of them. All the mighty men of valor, the ones that knew how to handle a sword and handle a bow, God killed them all, every one, because they didn't trust Him to take out the nations of Canaan. Now that He's got an obedient generation, who's afraid? The Amorites and the Canaanites are trembling because of the arrival of the Israelites. They got the news about the Jordan River. Can you imagine the newspapers being published in Gath as the Philistines read about what had happened to the Jordan River and the other nations of the Hittites, Jebusites, Perizzites, and the rest of those Zites that were in the land of Canaan when they heard about what God had done to the Jordan. Here comes this, here comes this army. Look what they did to Egypt. Look what they did to the Amorites on the other side of Jordan. Do you have Israel in your mind? It's at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't lie under the Mediterranean Sea. It lies at the eastern end of it. And the Jordan River runs north and south. So they came across to the west side of the Jordan River. So now they're between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. And the first city they come to is Jericho. And they're on the plains of Jericho. And what are these people going to do? Let me read to you verses 2 through 8. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now, you can't circumcise a man twice. Okay? For those of you that know what it is, you can't do it twice. This is, have a second national day of circumcision, like the first one that you had, which the Bible doesn't even detail for us, but it very well could have been when Moses brought all those Israelites out of Egypt at Mount Sinai, when they were reminded of all the commandments of the Lord, at some point there was a national day of circumcision, and they're going to have another one right here. Can't do it twice. Okay. At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Moses had done it once before. He had to do it to his boys, do you remember? And his wife had to do it for him. She called him a bloody husband. Thou art to me because of this thing called circumcision. Verse 3, And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, 
even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey and their children whom he raised up in their stead them Joshua circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. This is an important chapter. Why read chapter 6 if you're not going to read chapter 5? And really, we could read the whole book leading up to chapter 6, but I want you to know why chapter 6 is so glorious. It's because chapter 5 is filled with so much obedience. You do not want to attempt anything without obeying God. Right. Don't even attempt it without obeying God. And on the plain of Jericho, before the city of Jericho, the Israelites had minor surgery on every male and waited for them to be made whole. Can you imagine that report getting back to Jericho? What in the world is that hill that's growing over there? Called the hill of foreskins. But the issue is, they were obeying God. They were going to make sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. And they were keeping all the commandments of the Lord their God. What had God told Joshua? If you will meditate upon my word, and if you will keep all my commandments, then I will be with you, and I will make your way prosperous and successful. And Joshua wanted God's blessing on him like God had blessed Moses and so they're circumcising the whole nation in chapter 5 on the plain of Jericho before the city of Jericho. I hope you'll remember God's anger with Moses for not circumcising his sons. Do you know it tells us in Exodus chapter 4 and around verse 25 that God met Moses one night in an inn. He was staying at the Holiday Inn on the way back from keeping Jethro's sheep to go back to Egypt to lead the people of God out of that pagan nation. And that night in the end, it says the Lord tried to kill him. Right. Well, now the Lord's never tried to kill anyone and failed at it. Right. He just scared Moses pretty bad. And so Zipporah, his wife, saved his life, as it appeared, by taking those two boys and circumcising them herself. I'll bet they howled. They didn't have CRNAs back then. But the Lord's serious about that covenant sign that he had with Israel. That was one of, the, one of the signs that they were his people under the old covenant. Circumcision doesn't have any religious value for us. It's entirely a matter of personal liberty for whatever reasons. In Acts chapter 16, Paul took Timothy to be a preacher, and he circumcised him because of the Jews that were in that quarter. But in Galatians chapter 2, Paul took Titus to be a preacher, and he didn't circumcise him because it would have shown false teachers that Paul cared about circumcision, and he didn't. It doesn't matter anymore, but it sure mattered back then. And what we want to understand is Joshua is making sure the nation is obedient. Right. Joshua is making sure as the leader that this nation is going to keep God's commandments. And I want to appeal to every man. 
Are you making sure that your family is keeping all of God's commandments like Joshua did for the nation of Israel? And are we as a church keeping all of God's commandments for God to bless this church? He cannot and will not bless your family or your church if you're going to lightly esteem or despise His Word. And this is one of the commandments that Joshua kept. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Any connection that those two million people had with Egypt was cut off with the cutting off of that foreskin. I have rolled away all the reproach that you were once slaves down in Egypt and that you don't, that you're not a very powerful nation. You are now on the plains of Jericho. You have circumcised yourself to show that you're my people and I am about to bless you and make you a mighty nation in the earth. The reproach despising Israel for being slaves and making pyramids out of mud bricks has been rolled away. It's been cut off. And brethren, we were once slaves of the devil. And we were working in his palace willingly. But thanks be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off and the Bible calls it a circumcision. He cut off our foreskins of sin and he cut off the sin of our hearts. Because the Bible tells us that true circumcision is not that which is done in the flesh, but that which is done in the heart. And that's a true Jew and a true Israelite, and God's done that for us. And He's rolled away our reproach of being children of the devil under the condemnation of sin, and with God's anger ready to burn against us, it's been rolled away like it was here for Israel. The place was called Gilgal. Names had significance in the Bible. Let's read verses 10 and 11. What else are they going to do on this plane? I mean, come on. If you were the king of Jericho and you got the report of what was going on, they've opened up an exigent center. And the whole nation is lined up to be circumcised. You know what? The rest of the world looks on and doesn't have a clue what we're doing, do they? And let me, let me say something. And let me, I want to say, one, let me say something first. Circumcision and baptism don't have a single thing in common by any stretch of the imagination in any way, shape, or form. However, however, when we baptize and the world looks on and sees us doing baptism by immersion, they have no idea. what They're no different than the men standing on the wall of Jericho watching circumcision take place. Every, all the men lining up and having that operation performed, and all of you can imagine what that scene must have looked like. But when we're baptized in public and they see that, they have no clue what we're doing. And we are answering God with a good conscience in the face of all men. It was a pleasure to be in Malaysia on the island of Penang in a public swimming pool in front of a 15-story apartment complex with Muslims staring out over their balconies while the Muslims are chanting on our Lord's Day, to see Josiah sing, baptized. Did you, did you enjoy that? They all looked and didn't have a clue as to what we're doing. Look at those foolish Christians. Oh, the God in heaven was smiling. The only God. They've never met God, but they're going to. And they're going to meet His Son, Jesus, and they're all going to bow the knee and profess that He is Lord. 
So what else do these, this group of people do? Well, they're going to celebrate the Passover. Verses 10, 11. The children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. For the first time in 40 years, they were eating stored corn, grain, that they had pulled out of the granaries, barns, and silos of the Canaanites. They had eaten manna for 40 years. All of a sudden, they were eating something new, and they were eating it unleavened. They didn't take the time to leaven it because that would have broken the rules for the Passover. But the inhabitants of Jericho are watching a religious ceremony take place where lambs are slain and eaten, and the whole nation is having religious service. Shouldn't they be training? Shouldn't they be getting their divisions all lined up for battle? No. They should be calling upon the name of the Lord their God. And they were. (laughs) And Jericho didn't know what was happening. But Israel did, and the Lord did, and that's all that counts. They were not anxious or impatient to bull ahead. The Lord comes first. You know, when you have something pressing upon you, and if, if there's a thought that comes into your head that says, I don't have time for prayer, get that thought out of your head, because that is not from the Lord. That's a fiery dart of the devil. The Lord can make up for any time you spend in prayer. These people were taking care of all the commandments of the Lord, circumcision, then the Passover, before they were going to engage in conflict. Joshua wanted the Lord with him. I pray that every man in here will be like Joshua. Now, Joshua's going to fail, and we're going to see his failure before we get out of this day. But right now, he's not a failure. He is one bold leader of this nation. And there he is in the plains of Jericho, And instead of attacking that city, and instead of having a war council, all he wants to do is circumcise, making all the mighty men of war very sore. And then having the Passover. We want to learn from that lesson. The old corn that's described here was what they found in storage of the fearful residents of Canaan. Plus there was new corn in the fields which they plucked and ate. The people were all inside the city walls of Jericho. They had left their farms. Verse 12 adds a little more detail. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Who planted it for them? The Canaanites did. Well, weren't the Canaanites going to eat it? No, there weren't any left to eat it. The Israelites ate it. Do you know what God had told them? I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. The wells are dug. The vineyards are planted. The cities are built. Go in and take it and possess it. That is the Lord taking the possessions and assets of the wicked and giving them to the righteous. And there's a day coming in which the entire earth will be transferred, lock, stock, and barrel with heaven itself to the righteous. It'll make that, this little transaction look like nothing. Every work of theirs is going to be burnt up and dissolved with fervent heat. And we'll be given the new heavens and the new earth to enjoy forever. Praise the God of heaven. Rejoice in your God. Amen. The manna disappeared. They didn't need it anymore. Verse 13. And it came to pass 
When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I have been preaching to you about the holiness of God. And now Joshua runs in to the angel of the Lord representing Jehovah himself and says the ground that you're upon is holy because I'm here as Jehovah's mouthpiece to speak to you. What an encounter. And look at the attitude. We have circumcised. We have kept the Passover. The two greatest symbols of obedience in in the nation of Israel, if you were to try to rank them, they'd, they'd rank in the top five. Those two events. And now the Lord, with a sword drawn, are you our adversary? No. I'm captain of the Lord's host. And I'm going to go with you. And Joshua said, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And that is what we need to be saying. Every man, every woman, every child, what saith the Lord? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Is what we ought to be saying. And Joshua said that. And you know what comes in the next chapter because of that obedience. I want you to see the obedience of Joshua chapter 5 that precedes the grand victory of Joshua chapter 6. The greatness of the people of the Lord in the whole earth is when they're obedient. But when they disobey, the tables are reversed entirely. The Lord puts it this way. When I'm with you, one of you will chase a thousand. When I'm not with you, one of them will chase a thousand of you. Now that is a reversal of fortune by a factor of one million. Go ahead and take it home and think about it. Do you understand that? That is the importance of obedience. The Lord has blessed those people and us with so much. And he asks us to obey him. And when we obey, he blesses. And when we don't, he curses. And what a difference it makes. Let's come to chapter 6. Well, before we get there, the, the, the man with the sword was no mercenary for either side. He was the captain of the Lord's host. Amen. Does the Lord have a host? Amen. Innumerable company of angels. There is a host in heaven. It's an army of angels, and they are our protecting servants. And do you know who their captain is now? This is, so, this is precious to me. Do you know who their captain is now? The Lord Jesus Christ. This angel of the Lord here, was he demoted? Not necessarily. He just got someone promoted over him. Do you know what the Bible says repeatedly in the New Testament? That the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, far above all principalities. Those, those are not principalities on earth. Those are principalities of the angelic realm. Those are not powers on earth. Those are powers of the angelic realm. All the angels being made subject to him. He's now the captain of the host, a man 
our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, born of the Virgin Mary, raised in Nazareth of Galilee, is captain of the Lord's host. Because this captain reports to him. This captain was representing the Lord Jehovah himself because he says the ground is holy. And when he speaks, it says the Lord spake. As with the three men that appeared to Abraham in his tent, called the angel of the Lord and called the Lord himself. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, we've already read. The city was under lockdown. Verse 2, and the Lord, the captain of the host, the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Look at that city. They're afraid to come out. There you were at the Jordan River. They didn't get on the other side to keep you from crossing. They are terrified of you. See, I've given them into your hand. Verses 3 through 5. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. The Lord tells them exactly how they're going to take the city of Jericho, and he's going to do it all by himself as long as they'll follow a few instructions. Right. And this is very comforting. Do you know what Joshua could use at a point like this? He could use taking the city of Jericho in such a dramatic fashion under his leadership to unite his nation behind him and to cause the rest of the nations of Canaan to fear him. And they will. They will fear the name Joshua. By the way, what does Joshua mean? It means Jehovah is salvation. Amen. And it was the name of our Savior when he was named by his mother Mary, Joshua which comes to us from Hebrew through Greek to English as Jesus. That's why Joshua in the New Testament, this Joshua in the New Testament is called Jesus in your New Testament Bibles. That's Acts chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 4. The Lord gave Joshua the details for the victory. Many times in life you're not going to know what to do. But if you're living righteously and you're trusting God and you're keeping the commandments as far as you know them, Circumcision, Passover, what wilt thou have me to do? He will guide you with his eye. He will show you what to do. And he showed Joshua what to do. But you can't appeal to him. You cannot expect to appeal to him and expect guidance unless you are full of faith and obedience. Joshua showed that and the Lord blessed him abundantly. The army was to march around the city of Jericho one time for each of six days and then to do it seven times on the seventh day. Out in front were the, was the armed men of the nation of Israel. Behind them came seven priests blowing seven trumpets made of ram's horns. Behind them, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Behind them, the rest of the people. And this little assembly made its way around the city of Jericho 
one time and went back and camped. Another time and went back and camped. And the Lord told Joshua exactly what was going to happen with a long blast on the seventh circuit on the seventh day. And with a shout by the people, the wall would, fly, would fall down flat and the people could just go straight up into the city and wipe out the inhabitants and do what God wanted to be done with the rest of the stuff. How much do you believe and trust God? Could you follow this unusual plan? When the Bible tells you to do something that the rest of the world is against, are you still willing to do it? When the Bible says, thou shalt beat him with the rod, do you believe the Bible? Or do you believe Benjamin Spock and the rest of these little Mother Teresas? What are you going to do? When the whole world unites against us, do we still believe in creation? Do we still believe in disciplining children? Do we still believe in avoiding the holy days of Roman paganism? Sometimes it looks silly. Our doctrine of baptism looks silly, but we do it anyway. People come into our assemblies and they wonder why we don't have any musical accompaniment. Are you willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world to follow the New Testament? I hope we are. Because it brings success and blessing. And it brought it then and it has brought it upon us and it will bring more if we will continue to obey. Children, don't you dare give up what we have secured in the way of truth, in doctrine and practice that the Lord has shown us. What else is there in your life where the Word of God is contrary to the world that you need to keep doing? I'm thankful that we have this example. Verse 6 through 9. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, passed on before the Lord, and blew with the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the rearward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. The order was armed men, trumpeters, the ark, and the people. For success, leaders have to follow the Lord's details, and the people must follow. And they did it here. Everything God had said to do in verses 3 through 5, they did in verses 6 through 9. The proper order, they're doing exactly as God told Joshua, as Joshua told them. Verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. Isn't that wonderful? Consider this assembly. Walking around the city of Jericho, there's not a peep, not a single word, not any noise at all from the people's mouths except those trumpeters. And it goes around the city and goes back and rests in camp. You know, it makes me think of Naaman. 
when his servants finally convinced him that he ought to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, the filthy Jordan. Oh, Naaman hated those low-level, low-altitude rivers that were dirty. He wanted something clean. He said, why can't I go back to the mountains of Syria and find something clean to dip in? But the servants finally said, listen, you'd have paid a great price. At least try what the prophet wants you to try. Naaman dips himself once. You know what he felt like? An idiot. Did it look... Did his leprosy look any better? Yep. No. Servants are watching. Here's the captain of the host of the Syrian army dipping himself in a filthy river in Israel. So he goes under a second time. Did his skin get any better? Yep. How much faith do you have? What if you're... Listen, brethren, there's pro, we face all sorts of problems. They can be financial, health, children, business, educational, whatever. When you make an attempt to follow the Word of God, are you expecting instantaneous, complete, and thorough blessing by God that very minute you make your first attempt? He wants to see that you've got more than five seconds of faith. At least give him 30 seconds by dipping seven times. Six times. Naaman's roll. We don't know if he's rolling his eyes or not. He didn't want to be there. His servants got him down there in that river. But I'll tell you, when he did it the seventh time, he came up and his flesh looked like a baby's behind. Right. A clean one. His, his, flesh, his flesh was back the way that you dream of flesh. Some of the little children in our church with perfect skin, he had it because he dipped seven times. Amen. God does not owe us an immediate answer to the first effort that we make in obeying Him. It is consistently keeping the commandments of God that bears the fruit that we hope for. Please remember that. Verse 15. I'm skipping over 11 through 14. It describes them making this procession every day. You can see it in the last clause of verse 14. So they did six days, just as God commanded them. Now verse 15 and 16. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. They did exactly as God commanded them to. Now, they would have had to get up early in the morning. There was a lot of marching to do on this seventh day. And so they did it. They took whatever steps were necessary in order for them to get the job done on that seventh day. What consternation and horror, confusion of mind, would have gripped the inhabitants of Jericho. The Lord is accomplishing so many things at once. He's teaching His people Israel faith. And that is to do it the first day, and trust me, when you don't see results... Do it the second day and trust me when you don't see results. My word is true. Do it the third day and you don't see results. Do it the fourth day and you don't see results. Results will come. The Bible is the truest book you'll ever read. Amen. It's the only true book. Right. Every commandment in it will bear fruit. Every promise is sure. Amen. Every commandment works. You do it God's way, it will always work. Right. Nothing else works. God's Word works. 
What a faithful example they give us. Now there was another warning. And it's stuck here at verse 17. And we'll read verses 17 through 19. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Here's the first time we're told something. I'm going to give you this city, but I'm going to do it myself. You're just going to march around it. I'm going to knock the wall down flat. You're going to go in and take everything. You kill everyone in there because they're all accursed. The whole city's accursed. It's accursed. The things in it are cursed. And the people in it are accursed. Except for Rahab and her family. Those family members in her house. Do you remember the spies? They were very particular with her. You will have your family in this house. There will be a red line by which you have let us down out of your window, hanging out of your window. And if you are in this house and you do not turn us over to your authorities... Your blood will be on our heads. We will protect you. God will save you. But if you go out of this house, there is no salvation for anyone in your family. You get your family in this house. You know, the Bible doesn't give us the details, but I hope when you read the Bible, you think a little bit about an ignorant Jericho prostitute getting her family together and praying as well as she knew how to the Lord Jehovah of Israel, to protect her. And he did. And you know the author of this book? It tells us that she was still living in Israel when he wrote this. Rahab was still there. Rahab is the great-grandmother of David. But the warning, the city is a curse and everything in it, don't you touch that stuff. That stuff has been consecrated to me. I need a contribution to my treasury. We're going to build a tabernacle again, and eventually we're going to need a temple. I want all the silver and the gold and the brass and the iron for my treasury. It's consecrated to me. I'm the one that's going to take the city down. The wall's going to fall flat, and you can just walk in and take it. I want everything in that city. I want you to kill everyone in that city. That's the deal. And I want you to notice, every my brothers and sisters, I want you to notice verse 18. And ye... Comma. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Whatever it takes, whatever means you need to use, keep yourself from the accursed things of Jericho. And the Bible tells us the same thing about our lives. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not. The unclean thing. That world out there has a lot of sinful enticements for us. And we are not to touch them. Let them be accursed. That world out there is accursed. The Lord is coming back to burn up it and them. Don't touch it. If you want to play with it, 
You are a spiritual adulterer. Let's resent everything outside what the Bible allows us to enjoy in this life. Let us resent everything as much as Achan should have resented everything in that city. Notice the wording. In any wise, keep yourselves. Whatever precautions you need to take in your life to keep you from the sins that easily beset you, then do those things. You know what the Bible would say about a man who's got trouble with a wandering eye that looks at women? Rip it out of its socket and throw it away. Does he say that? It's Matthew chapter 5. What in your life brings temptation to make you think about the world or to go after it in any respect? In any wise, get rid of that thing. You will not have God's blessing upon you like it could be upon you. In any wise, whatever you can think of, whatever you can do by any measure, take whatever precautions, whatever changes in your life you can to make sure that your family is holy and righteous as the Lord requires of us. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Notice the consequences. Lest ye make yourselves accursed. Did the man that touched some of that stuff curse himself and his whole family? Yes, he did. When ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. When a man sins in a family, he infects and affects the whole family. When a man sins in a church, he can infect and affect the whole church. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And when this man sinned, that we're going to read about in the second assembly, it affected the whole nation and anything that they attempted to do. Verses 20 and 21. That little 17 through 19 is a little aside because Joshua has told them to shout in verse 16. So 20 says, so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. If it were not for the grace of God, we would have been in Jericho and we would have been sliced by the Israelite army as fast as any. It's only by the grace of God. This entire race of ours deserves not only this kind of a departure from this life, but it deserves eternal condemnation in heaven for sin. We rebelled against our Maker. We had a perfectly good opportunity to live in paradise forever and have eternal life. We chose through our representative, the fittest of our race, that we wanted to rebel against God. We followed a woman rather than the Lord. And so God took out the men, the women, the children. It didn't matter what your age was. It didn't matter what your sex was. God took them out. In verses 20 and 21, the wall fell down flat. The men could just walk straight into the city and take their sector. Verses 22 through 25. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. 
and they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day. Because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua may have written this book toward the end of his life. And here he's saying Rahab's still living among us. She was saved. She's still here to this day. Those who read the first, press, the first copies off the press would have known Rahab because she was living in Israel at that time. This great woman is recorded in the New Testament several times that I've already mentioned to you. Verse 26, And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. If any man tries to rebuild this city of Jericho that God has knocked down flat, as soon as he starts the project, God's going to kill his oldest child. And if he continues the project, God will go through his entire family tree, and when he sets up the gates, he'll kill the youngest child. First Kings 16.34 tells us that this was fulfilled exactly. A man from the city of Bethel came over and thought that he would raise up the ruins of Jericho. And as he started to do it, God killed his oldest son, took the others in the building process. And when he set the gates, he killed his youngest son. Both sons are named 1 Kings 16 and verse 34. The Lord was with Joshua. He was inspired in his curses. He was inspired in his warnings. And what a victory they had that day. And the last verse of this chapter tells us, So the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame was noised throughout all the country. It had been Moses. It had been Moses for 40 years. And now it was Joshua. God confirmed Joshua as the leader of his people by knocking the wall down flat and them taking the city in minutes. And he said, Because I'm going to do it all, I want the stuff. The stuff comes into my treasury. It's consecrated to me. The people are consecrated to me. And you know how you can give them to me? Kill them all. Is there a God like that in heaven? Amen. There is a God like that in heaven. And if it were not for the grace of God, we would be in the city of Jericho, wherever it might be found on earth today. And we would be among these pagan Canaanites, Amorites. By the grace of God, he has called us away from that, and we want to live separate from them and separate from their things. The lesson that we have here is to be as confidently faithful as they were and as carefully obedient as they were, because this glorious conqueror obeyed, believed, and did exactly as the Lord told him, and look what kind of a victory he had. Every one of you men especially and your wives, and your little ones, but especially you men, I hope you'll be like Joshua. This is the man that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what the rest of you nation want to do, he said in chapter 24, but the way you're living, you cannot serve the Lord with the hypocrisy that you have in your hearts. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I trust that you will serve the Lord like Joshua did and be as diligent and as careful and as believing as he was 
in his circumcision, in the Passover, and in doing everything exactly the way God told him to do. And that when the Lord met him, he said, what does the Lord say to his servant? What wilt thou have me to do? Those are the great men in the history of the world. This is one of them. I hope that you will be like him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for there to be holy men in our church that will lead their families and help lead this church in holiness the way Joshua did. Amen. Amen.